I'm here at Tranquilo Bay in Isla Bastimentos, Panama. I've had one of the most amazing experiences here. And right now, I'm on a deck overlooking the tree canopy, and there is a sloth, a literal sloth, hanging in the branches, just scratching itself, eating the leaves. It's so breathtaking. And I look at this creature, and I think, I have to know more about you. So let's talk about it, shall we? Hello, hello. Welcome to Little Curiosities. I am your host, Kendall Long. For those of you who know me before this podcast, you might recognize me from a show called The Bachelor, Bachelor in Paradise. I was the weird taxidermy girl. And yes, I might be a little weird because I collect taxidermy, but the reason why I collect it is because I have a huge side passion, which is entomology, zoology, botany, and taxidermy is the art of all of those things that I love studying. And this podcast, Little Curiosities, is a result of my other side passion, my hobby. So I take all of the things that I research and love and I'm curious about, and I smush it into this podcast to teach all of you the things that I find to be super cool. And today's episode is about sloths. But before I dive into all the knowledge that I have gained for this episode today, I want to ask all of you what you thought of sloths. And I did on my Instagram. One person said, they're very fast swimmers and can hold their breath. Loved seeing them in Costa Rica. And yeah, surprisingly, sloths are ridiculously good swimmers. They can swim three times faster than they can walk on land. So they're much more efficient in the water than out of it, unless they're in the trees. That's their favorite place to be. They can also hold their breath for 40 minutes at a time. When I looked that up, I was surprised. I never really thought that a sloth would need to hold their breath, but... They could hold their breath longer than me, or maybe most people out there. I'm pretty sure we'd die if we tried to hold our breath for 40 minutes. Another one of you made the claim that they eat whole avocados and spread the seeds when they poop. <laughs> um, well, you're not wrong. They do eat whole avocados, but it's not the current species of sloth living today. It was actually an ancient giant sloth called Megatherium. What a fitting name for a giant sloth, like a mega big. Sadly, these big slow beauties no longer grace this earth. They are extinct, but you're right. These big giant sloths did play a crucial part in seed dispersion with avocados, and we can thank them for our avocado toast, our guacamole, and all the wonderful green mushy things that we enjoy today. Without them, avocados could literally have gone extinct. As a Californian, I am just shivering at the thought. The reason why they were important with seed dispersion is because they would eat the avocado whole and then excrete the seed along with a little bit of fertilizer, and this helped spread the avocado far and wide. Now it blesses our tables, and I am ever so grateful for the giant sloth because of this. Moving on to another comment about sloths, and this one sent me researching. They said, two-toed and three-toed sloths aren't closely related, they just happen to evolve similarly. I didn't know that. You smarty pants, this is something that I had to dive into right away, and it's true. Two to three-toed sloths last shared a common ancestor around 30 million years ago. That's around the same time humans split from baboons in the evolutionary tree. That's a long, long time ago for looking so similar. 
two to three toed sloths are hence an example of covergent evolution. This is the process where species develop similar adaptations to a habitat through very different evolutionary routes. An example of this would be wings with bats, birds, and insects. Though they all have wings, they all gained them in different ways. I thought that tidbit was just extremely fascinating, so thank you all for sharing your thoughts on sloths. I always love when something sparks my curiosity and sends me researching. So I have to tell you about my first time seeing a sloth. I've seen a sloth both in captivity and in the wild. The first time I ever saw a sloth was in captivity. Sloths are just incredibly adorable, and they're pretty much up there in most people's lists of favorite animals. I mean, it's understandable. Look at them. They're like really sleepy, adorable puppies. And that's including my sister. Sloths are one of my twin sister's favorite animals, and it's because of this that I saw my very first sloth in person. A few years back, as a birthday present, I took my sister to a wildlife sanctuary, and I did a lot of research ahead of time to see if there were any sanctuaries in our area that had sloths because I knew she wanted to see one so bad, and lo and behold, there was one that was only a 30-minute drive away, so we hopped in the car and I told her outside of the sanctuary that we were about to see a sloth, and she was so excited. I think there was a few tears. <laughs> I was excited too, because I wanted to see a sloth super bad. We went in the sanctuary, saw a bunch of different animals, from fennec foxes to a giant white albino python, and then we finally see this adorable sloth and proceed to feed it hibiscus flowers, got to hang out in the cage for a little bit. It was a very magical, special moment, and I was partially bummed initially because I was looking for a place that could hold a sloth, but I found out through this wildlife refuge that if you ever go to a place that allows you to hold a sloth, it's usually a sign that that rescue is in it for the money, not for the sloths themselves, because sloths don't want to be handled, and they have such slow reactions to people doing things, things around them, that they could be having a heart attack or freaking out and you wouldn't know it. So if you ever go to a place that allows you to hold a sloth, don't hold the sloth and uh, discourage other people from going to those places as well. My sister ended up volunteering at that wildlife refuge for years to come after that, shoveling the poop of the animals there. She said she made eye contact with some kind of wild cat. I forgot exactly which one it was, but she said in that moment she looked into that wild cat's eyes, she felt like prey. I don't think she volunteered much after that point, but it was a great experience nonetheless. It has a special place in our hearts. Oh my goodness, warmer weather is finally here. And you know what? I think it's time to celebrate with some refreshing bedding, plus 20% off for Brooklinen's Memorial Day sale. If you're like me and you don't know where to start, with so many great options to choose from, Brooklinen's experts have assembled exactly what you'd need for a full upgrade or a quick refresh. Plus, Brooklinen makes things super easy and helps you save with their bundles for bed, bath, or both. If you're a newbie to home upgrades, here's a pro tip. Check out Brooklinen's best-selling Lux Sheets. They are oh so buttery soft and have a luxurious finish that is great for all types of sleepers. And guess what? They've also added organic sheets to the mix to give you more consciously crafted options. Check out their site to learn about all their different styles of sheets and find your perfect match, just like I did. After I've been sleeping with Brooklyn and Sheets, I honestly get the hype. 
Every morning, I wake up feeling like I got all the Z's that I needed, especially since lately I've been feeling a little under the weather and I need that recovery sleep. I need all I can get. And I gotta say, Brooklinen is a major reason why I've woken up feeling way better than the day before. And with another night or two of sleep, honestly, I'm gonna kick this cold to the curb. Your Memorial Day sale is happening this week. Shop 20% off in-store or online at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N dot C-O-M for 20% off. Can't wait until the sale? Visit brooklinen.com today and sign up for emails to keep up to date on exclusive offers, new products, and much more. The second time I saw Sloth in person is, as you may guess, with the spark in the beginning of this episode, was when I was in Panama. I was filming for a nature project there, and I saw a couple sloths while I was in the forests of Isla Bastimentos, Panama. One of my absolute favorite spottings of the trip was when I was out exploring the jungles with a nature guide from Tranquilo Bay Eco Lodge. That's where I was staying there, and we were hiking through the thick foliage, and there was so much diversity around us. I felt like I was surrounded by a plethora of different species. The guide points to somewhere in the trees, and I look over, and extremely low in the canopy was a three-month-old baby sloth just sleepily clinging to a tree. Disclaimer, I didn't automatically know that this sloth was three months. The guide told me the age. And I was confused because I thought this is so young for a baby sloth to be out on its own. So I asked, and then the guide told me that sloths are naturally solitary animals. So starting at around three months old, the mother will distance themselves from their babies to encourage them to take their first steps in their own in the wild. But before that, the mom and baby are inseparable. They are together. When the mom does eventually slowly separate herself from the baby, she will make sure to go on the outskirts of the territory and then leaving the original territory to her little wee one, which I think is nice because her baby knows the plants there, what to eat, the best tree canopies, probably safety-wise what to do. So they have a little bit of a head start, but the mother's not too far away. They are just not together. Although they may lead solitary lives, this doesn't mean that they are completely alone because in fact, most sloths are never alone. <laughs> For reals, they're actually never alone and you'll find out why because originally I was going to make this episode about just sloths, but then I quickly realized that there was a whole world living on sloths alone. Yeah, sloths have an entire ecosystem living in their fur. Literally, a slow, tree-climbing, cute little ecosystem. They have different species of algae, fungi, moths, insects, and there's just so much to know about these organisms alone that I decided to make this entire episode about the things that live on sloths. Researching this podcast truly made me realize that sloths are oh so important to so many little lives, and potentially even our own. So let us begin. The key to the many companions a sloth has, some even say they're in the millions, is its hair. Sloth's hair consists of two layers, an inner layer of short fine hair that helps keep them warm, and a coarse outer layer. And it's this outer layer where most of the organisms that find their home on the sloth live. Now, sloth hairs aren't your typical hairs. They have a unique structure that involves microcracks. These microcracks create the perfect environment for algae and fungi to thrive because they could just nuzzle in to those tight little spaces. 
Biologists got around to investigating these cracks found in the sloth hairs for the first time in 2014. And get this, they discovered species of algae in these little cracks of the hairs that haven't been found anywhere else on Earth. These species are currently being researched by microbiologists, parasitologists, and onycologists in hopes that some of these species can aid in fighting diseases, but there is much more on that later, so just put a pin in that for now. You may ask yourself, with all of these freeloaders, what is the sloth getting out of it? Do moths, fungi, algae, and many, many more species just get a home where they thrive? Happily? For free? I live in LA, where rent is ridiculous, so that sounds like a good life to me. But luckily for the sloth, these relationships seem to go both ways. One way these organisms, quote, pay their dues is by providing camouflage against predators that would otherwise want to eat a slow little delicious sloth. Predators such as raptors will browse the canopy literally like a grocery store in search of something delicious. But because the algae and fungus give the sloth's fur a greenish hue, the hangry bird will fly on as if they don't see the sloth because it blends in with the canopy. The fact that the sloth is moving so slowly only adds to that capability of blending in with the tree canopy. Predators who hunt by sight, such as jaguars and eagles, will use detected movement to hunt, which means that these hungry predators will easily pass over the sloth as prey because they're not really doing much of that. They're not moving around that fast, so they pretty much go undetected. On a side note, sloth's top speed clocks in at about 0.15 miles per hour, or in kilometers, that's 0.25 kilometers per hour, making them the slowest mammal on the planet. And so the main question in my head is, why are sloths so slow? Why do they look as if they're walking in slow motion? How does that benefit them at all? And yes, I did get to the bottom of it, and it turns out that sloths can't really see. Around 60 million years ago, somehow through evolution, sloths almost completely lost the ability to see. Fast forward to now, and in the daytime, it's so bright outside that sloths can't really see much of anything at all. Unfortunately, sloths haven't been known to rock sunglasses, and they probably would look really cute. They have the hairdo for them. And the truth is, if you can't see where you're going, then zooming around a tree canopy can be quite dangerous. You'll most likely fall off a limb or misplace your hand on a branch. It may seem like a bummer to be so slow, but it has many benefits, believe it or not. As I mentioned earlier, it helps them hide from predators, but also they save an enormous amount of energy from moving in slow-mo. In fact, sloths use about 90% less energy than the average mammal, which is a huge benefit given that they have a very low energy diet of leaves. And you know what they say, you are what you eat. But in the sloth's case, it's more like you smell how you eat. You may look at a sloth's fur and think, ugh, it's so green, they need a bath. But not so fast. Sloths not only look like the trees, they smell like them thanks to the critters that live all over their fur. And that's a good thing when you're trying to hide from predators. All the organisms work together to ensure that their slow-moving friend is safe and sound, because they won't have a home without this cute little tree hugger. Some species love living on the sloth so much that the only place you can find them is nestled inside the sloth's fur. 
including sloth moths. There are six different species of sloth moths that exclusively live on the sloth, and I will now attempt to pronounce all of their names. <laughs> Bradypedicula honolly, Cryptosis colopi, Cryptosis waggy, Cryprosis rufipictus, Bradypopphila garbi. I don't know why I felt like I had to pronounce all of those and just prove that I can do it. I'm not sure if that's useful information for you, but I kind of like the way their sounds of their name are. So there you go. Those are the six moths that live on sloths. And all of these six moth sloths live in perfect harmony, living out their entire lives together on their slow green-haired companion. And when I say their entire lives are dependent on sloths, I mean it. Because for these moths, their life cycle both starts with sloths and ends with them. The life cycle of a sloth moth begins with a sloth slowly making its way down from the safety of the tree canopy to make their weekly poo deposit. <laughs> yes, you heard me right. A sloth only does business once a week. Not only that, but a sloth has to do the doo-doo on the ground, making them not only vulnerable, but an easy target for predators. The only time a sloth ever needs to leave its upside-down life in a tree is when it's going to the restroom. Sloths sleep, eat, mate, and even give birth, all while hanging upside down on a branch. So I can imagine they feel extremely awkward. It's kind of like that moment when you're walking your dog and they take a squat and look right back at you in the eyes. That kind of awkward. Hanging upside down also changes the sloth's hairstyle. Most mammals' hair parts along the spine and flows down the back to the belly, but because a sloth is constantly upside down, its hair grows the opposite way, from belly to back. This also helps the sloth more easily drip dry when soaked by a heavy rain. So I have a question. With all that hanging upside down, how do they not get a big rush of blood to their head? When I was a kid, I used to frequently go on the monkey bars and hang upside down, so I know that lightheaded feeling. And the answer is interesting. Sloths have special valves in their circulatory system that stops the pooling of blood in their head. I researched giraffes a while back, and they have something extremely similar in their long necks. So when they bend down to get a drink of water, the valves ensure that all that blood doesn't make them pass out because it's rushing down like a water slide to the giraffe's head. Back to sloth potty breaks. So because sloths move so slowly, some meals take a month to digest. Not only that, when a sloth does eventually go, they can lose up to one third of their body weight. That seems way more intense than childbirth. Some sloths will live in a variety of trees throughout their lifetime, which is around 20 to 30 years, but three-toed sloths can live in the same tree for their entire lives. Regardless of how many trees they call home, based on my research, it appears that wild sloths will always return to the same spot to poop. Scientists found multiple piles of duty near the base of certain trees. My thought is that if this spot worked out the first time and it was safe, then it's most likely safe a second time. And it's good to be safe because it's estimated that around 60% of predatory sloth deaths happen while they're going to the bathroom. And this begs the question, if going to the bathroom is so treacherous, why, oh why, stay constipated all week only to leave the safety of the tree? Why can't they just go to the bathroom while they're up in a canopy? It seems a heck of a lot safer up there. Well, we've come full circle back to the sloth moths. See, I didn't forget. 
A hypothesis presented by a group of researchers at the University of Wisconsin in 2014 suggests that sloths risk it all to maintain a perfectly balanced relationship between them and these moths. Get yourself a guy who treats you like a sloth does, quite literally, risking death for your relationship. Speaking of relationships, sloths and their moths have a type of symbiotic relationship called mutualism. Mutualism is where both species benefit from the close association between the pair of them. Sloths provide a nice habitat for their winged companions and also food. The moth use their proboscis, aka elongated sucking mouth part, to suck up moisture from around the sloth's eyes and secretions from the sloth's skin. Eek. In return, moths help to fertilize the algae in the sloth's fur. As you mentioned before, it's this algae that gives the sloth its greenish hue, its camouflage against predators. Sloths also eat the algae that grows on them. So, in a way, sloth feeds moth, moth feeds sloth. Algae has fatty acids and is high in nutrients. This may explain why sloths in the wild are usually more hefty than ones in captivity. But I can hear you yelling, but why make the journey to the ground? It turns out that the sloth's giant duty provides moth a nice cozy place to lay their eggs. When the sloth is doing its business, the moth will crawl from its fur and make a deposit of their own, their precious baby cargo, thus beginning their life cycle. When these eggs hatch, the larva will make a meal of the sloth's poop. I mean, they have plenty of it to go around. On a side note, do you want to hear a word that you hopefully will never have to use in a sentence? The fancy term for eating feces is coprophagia. The word is derived from ancient Greek, copro, meaning feces, and phasia, meaning to eat. There's a nice little dinner date fact for you. Once the larvae grow up to be moths, they fly up to the canopy to find a sloth to call home, and their life cycle begins all over again. Another side fact for you, and don't worry, this does not involve eating feces, Studies show that, generally, three-toed sloths carry more moths than two-toed ones. One study recorded more than 120 moths on one three-toed sloth's fur alone. Now, that's a party. And the party guests keep adding up, because another tenant to add to the sloth's fur ecosystem is fungus. Something I found to be really mind-blowing about the fungus that resides on moths is that these fungus seem to inhibit infections and keep parasites at bay. So it's almost like they have their own mosquito repellent or other kind of medicine that just lives on their body with them. And scientists are expectedly excited to hopefully implement this fur-residing fungus to medicine that we can use with humans. Researchers discovered that fungus found in sloth hair fights various strains of parasites, bacteria, and get this, cancer. In a study submitted by Sarah Higginbotham of Smithsonian Tropical Research Institute, 84 species of fungus that reside in the fur of three-toed sloths found in Sobrania National Park, Panama, were collected. Of the samples, three species were known to be effective against the longest living strain of human breast cancer. That's incredibly impressive. Not only that, but five species had high levels of bioactivity against a parasite associated with Chagas disease. This disease can result in a lot of nasty side effects like bloating of the liver, fever, swelling, and ugh, diarrhea. And two species affected a parasite known to be connected to malaria. This means that the sloth's hair could be an intriguing new source of drugs for humans. 
who knew that something we underestimated so much could actually be here to save the day? Sloths are superheroes, all right? I'm gonna put that on a t-shirt. But we can't get too excited just yet, because tried and true advancements will need more time and tend to move at a sloth's pace. So, as you probably know by now, the sloth is never truly on its own. It has the company of moths, algae, fungi, and many, many more little critters that crawl through its fur. After everything I've told you in today's episode, I do have one question for you. If you ever did want to hold or hug a sloth at one point, how would you feel about giving them a cuddle now? Not just because they have slow-mo heart attacks, but also because, you know, I'd probably want to avoid getting poo-eating moths on me or fungus or algae. Look, I'm happy to look lovingly from afar and appreciate all the sloth is in its glory. It's a slow-moving ecosystem that has the potential to do so much for so many. I love the sloth. I just don't want to, you know, touch it. That's fair. So that concludes our episode on sloth ecosystems. I had no idea that so many little critters lived in the fur of sloths. It's mind-blowing to think that one animal is responsible for so many lives and so many life cycles. I mean, the moth, its entire life cycle is dependent on the sloth. How cool is that? Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and I hope you enjoyed learning something new about sloths, or at least I hope you learned something new about sloths. Please be sure to share this episode with all your sloth-loving friends. Again, this is a new podcast, so anything you do to share, rate, review, subscribe really helps us out. And hey, if you have time, leave a comment, because I love hearing what you have to say about this podcast. It has been such a great joy of mine to research each and every episode. If you follow me on Instagram at It's Kendall Long, you'll know that I like to put little snippets and hints of what future episodes will be in my story, and I'll usually ask a question or ask your opinion about a future podcast episode. So please keep an eye out for that because I love adding people who are fans of this podcast into each episode. Alrighty, well, that wraps up this episode. I'm your host, Kendall Long, and I'll catch you next week where we'll be talking about something else that sparked my curiosity. See you then. Little Curiosities with Kendall Long is a Q Code production. Executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Ryan Countshouse. Edited by Ben Milchev. Music by Kendall Long and Will Tendy. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, just checking in and seeing if you might want to step away from the noise of the world for just a moment and connect back to you. If so, join me on my podcast, Letting It Settle with Michael Gallion, where we'll explore mindfulness, self-love, and personal growth as I share practical insights and tools to hopefully help inspire you to start to take charge of your mental and emotional well-being. Search for Letting It Settle with Michael Gallion on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now.